0: the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: Hello, this is the China Sports Insider Podcast on the Cineca Network. My name is Haig Balian, and I am with the China Sports Insider Mark Dreyer. This week, tragedy averted. A Polish loser almost died at a test event at the new sliding track at Yanqing. Zhang Wei Li loses her bout against Rose Nama Yunus. China tries to get back on track in its World Cup qualifying campaign, and we talk with John House about
2: where hockey is in China. Mark, how are you? <laughs> I am wonderful. Um I'm actually coming to you from the depths of quarantine in Shanghai this week. I'll be here for a couple of weeks. It is tolerable. Um, I've had a a little bit too much um, quarantine in my recent past, but hopefully uh, once I've done this third one, I will be uh, out and ready for the Olympics in uh, just a a few short months at this point. Oh my god. Just just over
1: like 90 days now. I can't I can't believe it. Can can I tell you something that happened today it has nothing to do with sports? I learned this week. I live in a building, as you know, and I live in a building where we have the centralized mailbox system and I had no idea. So, finally we checked our mailbox today and there were 2 years worth of letters <laughs> including including checks, including birthday cards including uh, Christmas cards, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. So, I mean, it was a mixture of horror and delight, but mostly horror. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> last, last week, we talked about athletes trickling into Beijing for, for test events before the Olympics, and they've been raving about the venues. Then on Monday, Polish loser, Mateusz Salkiewicz, had an accident at the brand new Yanqing track that that left him with a fractured kneecap and cut his leg to the bone D- did you read those quotes that he gave well l- let me let me let me let me read what he said and and this is um we're relying here on a translation from Reuters um here's here's how he described the uh the accident I got the green light so I moved on. For the first time I was able to calmly ride these two difficult bends. Suddenly, however, I saw a closed gate on the track. I then let the sled out from under me and took the position like a downhill skier. I was hoping that at this speed I would be able to jump over the barrier. However, everything was happening too fast and I didn't have time to bounce. That's why my legs are broken. Not the rest of my body. If I hadn't reacted, it would have resulted in a tragedy.
2: So, you know, Mark, I, I realize that this is a test event, but but what do you like? What do you make of this? I mean, to be honest, it, this is absolutely horrific. It it, it it is so close to have been disaster, and like we talked about this before on the show before. At the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, a Georgian lugeer died on the track because he hit one of the posts, and after flying out of out of the out of the chute, like the speeds that the sliders go, the the in the luge, the bobsled, and the skeleton is so fast, the danger is incredible. That is why these test events are so critical. I mean, on the on the plus side, you know, he he's still okay. He's 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 even talking about trying to get back for the Olympics, although with a with a bone sticking out of his leg. That seems um <laughs> somewhat optimistic, um but yeah, I mean he saw he saw the barrier that w- should have been should have been opened, and it wasn't, and that that obviously you know there needs to they need to look into into why that happened and and why it must never happen again um but then then he it sounds like of course, there's no video of this, and if there is, I'm sure we're not going to see it. It sounds like he was basically kind of skiing down on his feet and tried to sort of hurdle. The barrier, but wasn't able to do it because it was, you know, it was it all came at him suddenly. I mean, it 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 could have been an incredible escape. Sounds like well, he he still got lucky, but man, it it could have been worse.
1: Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of fast, fast thinking, fast moving involved. I mean, the fact that he was able to think about, you know, just getting getting rid of this the the sled and and skiing on his feet down that loose track, I can't even imagine how scary that would be. So I'm really, really, really glad that he's. He's okay. I think he said something about you know he's hoping to get a a wild card into Beijing because um, he won't be able to to compete over the next couple of months. And 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 what we do know is
2: he got surgery, I believe, in Beijing. Yeah, I mean, th- this is he's a Polish loser. He's he's probably an outside shot for a medal, um, but you know he's he's been at the he was at the Olympics uh, four years ago in in South Korea, so he's a, he's a he's a well known guy on the circuit. Um, it was pretty interesting. He said physically, he thinks he can recover in time, but mentally, that could be the hardest thing because could he ever face that track again? I mean, that's that's the kind of nightmare that he went through. And unfortunately, there were a couple of other quotes that I saw where it sounds like the support staff were number one, not particularly responsive, and number two, they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, there was there was one quote from from in Polish media as well. And this wasn't from, from the loser himself, but it was, it was more of a generalization that, you know, the, the, the general setup here is that, is that there's more concern about COVID-19 and COVID prevention than there is about, than there is about the safety of the athletes. Now it sounds pretty damning. Um, but you know, you, you can see, you can see why they're saying that like with, with, with the really restrictive bubble that we've talked about on the show before, uh, that the athletes are going to have to face, if there is another accident like this, it, well, you know, priorities are, yeah. are, are clearly, yeah. So, so we're we're talking on
1: Tuesday evening
2: Beijing time, and and,
1: and I haven't heard anything else about this from say the International Luge Federation. Like, I went to their website. There's an announcement there that's really short on details. It just basically confirms that there's an accident that that happened in Beijing. There's nothing on their Twitter feed. Nothing on Facebook so i'm sure they're going to have to respond at some point
2: yeah you you did say that it was in in chinese media uh, obviously not with with a full range of details uh, there were certainly reports from from reuters and ap um and it was it was interesting because about a week ago the the foreign correspondents club put out basically a a, a paper on olympic restrictions and this is something that that you know Harkens back to 2008, and, and there there was a lot of discussion about what reporters were going to be able to uh, to comment on and 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 where they could go in the country. And so, obviously, with COVID, it's it's a pretty different story. There's going to be journalists coming in, that but they'll stay in the bubble. Um, and I did see, you know, someone on on Twitter saying, "Well." At least it's being reported because foreign journalists haven't been granted access to any of these test events. And I think that has been a frustration for some of the journalists in the country. Like they've asked and asked the Beijing organising committee, "Well, can we can, can we film these test events? Can we speak to athletes?" And basically, it's just been a no. What well, one there was one crew they said uh, we were we were granted uh, the the access to film an empty ice rink. I was like, okay, well that's that's not going to be a that's not going to be a phenomenal story for China or for uh, or for the broadcaster. So you understand to a certain extent, COVID kind of trumps everything in China at the moment. But um, I think there is also some some obvious frustrations from from journalists who who are trying to tell sports stories apart from anything else.
1: Mark, do you do
2: you watch mixed mar- martial arts? Is that something you you watch on your free time? I've kind of got more into it actually, as um, as as the years have gone on, I've definitely taken an interest in sort of the Chinese fight scene a little bit in terms of some of the fighters. Um, of course, we're, we're going to be talking about Zhang Wei um, who who's who's been in the UFC. Um, so yes, yeah, so no, I I wouldn't class myself as an expert, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I've I've uh, I've I've definitely got you know Conor McGregor, uh, <laughs> like uh, yeah. uh, you know I've gone out to to see the fights, and I was certainly watching uh, uh, Zhang Wei Lee's fight uh, over the weekend. Alright, so so just as a preface,
1: I I I don't think I've ever watched a single MMA fight in my life. So this is this was the first time I've ever seen this. And and so as you mentioned, Rose Namayunis, this American fighter, she beat Chinese MMA fighter Zhang Wei Li to defend her straw weight title. Okay, so it was a split decision, and it was the second time these two had fought. Alright, so I've been I've been in anticipation of this, just just to be able to talk about this, I, I've been reading about Nama Yunis a lot. And you know, I didn't I didn't know anything about her. So apparently back in I think it was in April, you know, she watched this documentary about the 1992 Lithuanian Olympic basketball team. She has Lithuanian heritage. And yeah. so from my understanding, her family suffered under the Soviet Union. So when it came time to fight Zhang Wei Li. I I guess to Nama Yunus, like Whaley Li is like is the embodiment of everything that she, her family suffered it, in the form of this one, you know, what this one athlete. I don't know. Like Whaley Li seems like such a lovely athlete. She seems
2: like such a <laughs> nice 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 guy. Um, uh, let wondering. me tell you. Let me tell you, if you were in the ring of the Octagon with Jiang Wei Li and, and her mission was to uh, submit you, I don't think you'd be calling her lovely. But I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, <laughs> look, I think it's 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 MMA, which, which to me it's kind of like the real version of, of WWE. There's And what I mean by that is it's, it's obviously, it's not scripted. Like these are, these are genuine fights in the way that, in the way that wrestling is not. Um, But the entertainment value is there Um, at at the, at the peak end, of course, you've got people like um, Conor McGregor and, and, and every other fighter wants to be the next Conor McGregor. And they realize what, what the, you know, that you need that hype. And so to a certain extent, people are looking for storylines, the media are looking for storylines. And so who knows whether that was really a kind of you know well Lithuania and the Soviets and therefore China and the communists you know <laughs> it's all one yeah. big kind of like you know bad guy um, maybe that was her to try to get herself up for the fight maybe um, you know maybe it was a kind of more of a manufactured storyline but you know for, for we haven't really talked about the fight but the in the the first match between these two it, it was uh, it was it was over in, in just over a minute. Mm-hmm. and Naomi Unis um basically it was a kick to the head and Wei Lee was out and so this was a much much more competitive uh, bout it went the full five rounds so 25 minutes and it was pretty close it was split decision as you mentioned um i think the decision i don't think it was controversial i think most people felt that um that Wei lee had had not done enough um but you know where does she go from here she's had to championship, you know, this championship fight here. She she first won the strawweight belt in 2019, um, and uh, has been trying to reclaim it. Uh, now, how soon can, so until she gets another go? Hard to say. I think back just back to Nama Yunus
1: because i can't i can't let this go because i i totally understand <laughs> what you're saying this is showmanship what i'm scared about is this this really dumb rhetoric that's coming from Nama Yunus. You know, it's gonna have an impact so so i just want to play a clip and this is the post fight interview with Wayley. and this is joe rogan doing the interview and um you're gonna hear jaylee's trainer who's who's tra- translating this is about a minute long i'm here with Wayley in an incredible fight and again, a very different fight from the first one. What did you think at the end of the fight? Did you think you had done enough to get the victory?
2: Uh, I really
1: so I think I already did all my uh, 100%. I, I want to congratulate Lowe's uh, for this winning. But I'm just so grateful to be able to show my talents and my skill in Madison Square Garden. Well, it was an excellent fight. And I'm sure we'll see you again and better than ever. Thank you very much for an amazing fight. She's so gracious. I, lo- I, lo- I love Whaley. I've never seen her before. I've never heard her t- I just I think she's just great.
2: <laughs> I mean, look. I, I will. It was kind of funny because I was watching. Uh, as I said, I'm in quarantine in my hotel room, and I was watching uh, on on Sunday morning, and um, I didn't realize at the time that they panned to this. Uh, they pans to this Chinese lady who was waving um, a couple of Chinese flags. It turns out, I know. I know her. She she works in the sports industry. Uh, oh, she's wow. based in New York. She's a good friend of mine. But it was such a quick shot. But what was I saw on the on the on the footage afterwards? Because uh, you know she was posting clips. There's basically two huge American dudes behind her as she's cheering. This was the walk in as Jiang Wei Li was. So the Chinese fans were were cheering. There were a handful of Chinese fans who who were supporting her, uh, of course, waving the flags and so on. And then all the all the Americans were kind of booing. So the two guys behind her had their thumbs down. You know, beer in one hand, thumb down in the other, uh, with some sort of booing. And 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 you know, to to the point about the clip, how much of it is is sort of, you know. Entertainment value. There's kind of like the villa, the villain, and the and the and the, the heroine in this in this particular example. I think I think a lot of it is that. I don't think it's it's particular, you know, genuine hatred of of U.S. China, even despite the the kind of the tensions between the two countries at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're probably right, Mark.
2: Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Before we get to our talk with John, are there any other stories that you're watching this week?
2: Well, yeah, there were a couple of things, actually, that caught my eye. Um, number one was an announcement that the uh, the the Shanghai Grand Prix, the Chinese Grand Prix, which takes place at the Shanghai International Circuit and has been going on there for uh, just about 15 years, it has announced an extension to 2025. Now, they kind of presented this as an extension. For me, it was more, well, they have kind of haven't had the race there for the last two years, and they've already said next year is going to be cancelled. So... Um, it's kind of making up for the COVID-canceled uh, races. And of course, the rest of the world has moved on and F1 has continued to race all around the world, uh, except in China. Um, but good to see that that it's still happening. The one interesting thing that I noticed there is that there's a Chinese racer who we're working. I have to say, hi, I'm working to get him on the show and I think he's going to come on. Um, his name is Joe Guan Yu. He's currently in... Formula Two. He's near the top of the standings for the Formula Two uh, race series, which is one level below Formula One. And he is uh, now racing with the Alpine F1 team at at their sort of um, lower level for F2. And he had said um, he was kind of quoted on their Twitter account saying, I'm looking forward to having the Chinese Grand Prix back on the calendar and giving everybody excitement as well. And it did very much suggest that um, you know, the Alpine team was also saying, we're looking forward to racing in China again with a picture of Zhou Guan Yu. Now, he's not signed as an F1 racer. There's been a lot of rumors uh, as to perhaps he can move up uh, and become the first Chinese driver to, to to race competitively in an F1 weekend. We've had uh marching in the past uh, sort of do a more like a, a test event on on uh, earlier in a week in a race weekend but uh, Guan Yu would be the first legit f1 driver to come from china so that's quite exciting from my point of view um sort of a suggestion that that um, things are moving in the right direction between him and the alpine f1 team um and this is this is this is the the team that currently has um uh, uh, Alonso in it. So, so, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big deal if he were to uh, race alongside Fernando Alonso perhaps next year.
1: And there are a couple of world cup qualifiers coming up too, right?
2: Yeah. So we're back on it for, uh, for the world cup qualifiers for in soccer for ahead of the, um, the world cup in Qatar, uh, uh, around, well, just over a year from now, actually, as we've discussed, hi, it's a bit of a long shot for, um, uh, for China to to qualify but they are and still there and uh, until they're out of mathematical contention uh, I guess we will continue to talk about it but interestingly you were picking up they've got a couple of home games um, but they're not going to be in China are they?
1: No they're going to play in the UAE
2: at a stadium in the UAE. Yeah and, and this is all kind of down to the, the quarantine restrictions and you know we've we've had we've had games in the Middle East pre- previous qualifiers. Both the Chinese home and away games have have been held over there, um, and so this is this is not particularly new. But yeah, it would be great to 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 see China uh, being able to 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 host teams in front of a full stadium of fans. I mean, I guess there's there's two things. One is is they're not depending on how the COVID outbreaks are in China at any one time not that keen to have uh full stadiums for one thing and then of course the other teams don't want to come in and 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 do the quarantine ahead of time and and that's kind of been squared away with the AFC the Asian Football Confederation and um you know the the their branch of, of FIFA um that they wouldn't have to do that and so i think there's sort of like this mutual solution where people have been playing games in the middle east where they don't have the same quarantine restrictions after we finished recording last week, news broke that the IHF had decided to keep
1: China in the Olympic tournament. After all, you may remember last week's episode that there was some question about that. We thought we'd talk to somebody who knows Chinese hockey from the ground level. John House came to China in 2015 to coach hockey. Soon after that, he met the great figure skater Chen Lu, who was launching skating academies all around China. Uh, John was tapped to run the hockey program, which he did until earlier this year. He knows much more about hockey development in China than pretty much anyone, and right now he's here with us in studio. John, welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast.
3: Guys, thanks for having me, and uh, this is definitely an interesting topic, to say the least.
1: Can can you just tell us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you come to China?
3: Um, Originally, I was brought over here to do a hockey camp for, for four or five days. They just needed a guy with some experience and uh, I mean, I thought it was a good opportunity to see a place that you don't normally think to go growing up in Canada and uh, I came over and then um, things went pretty well and then I think it was on the second day of the camp, the host company um, asked me if I would consider staying and then, uh, you know, I went back to, to Toronto, I thought really hard. I actually tried to negotiate my way out of it at one point but when they kept saying okay, Uh, To my my silly requests, I I said, well, maybe I need to give this a try. And um, I I came over with that company. I spent about a year and a half there. Things went pretty well until they didn't. And then uh, fortunately, you know, to be honest, I was just on my way out. I was on my way back to Canada. And um, that's when I met Chen Lu through that company. And uh, she was doing her own thing. And um, I mean the 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 main thing was that uh, we connected mentally um, when it came to development and how to how to approach sports and the the mentality that we share is very I mean North American and um, it's very rare here I mean it's it's grown a lot more in the past few years but anyways that that uh, mentality that similarity is what decide helped me to decide to, to stay and yeah here I am uh, what four or five years later John, I guess over the years that I've been here, you know,
2: every every two, three years, there's there's a video that kind of goes viral. And and it's and it's some Chinese coach, you know, maybe he's kind of, you know, smoking on the the ice or he's whacking a a young kid with a stick. And, and, you know, it's pretty shocking to 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 a Western perspective. From your point of view, are, are these are these anomalies like like you know, how, how rare or, or common is, is this sort of thing at, at the youth level in China? Like, like how far do we still have to go and what kind of progress have you seen made
3: over the past, you know, five, six years? Such a good question. And it's, it's usually the first topic that comes up when, you know, people, when foreigners who haven't been here um, don't know too much about what's happening, they, they hear these, these are the rumors because that's the juicy stuff, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a really good thing to keep track of. And fortunately, I can, I can honestly say, I mean, I'm a bit of a, a, a cynic when it comes to the scene here, but I can say for sure in, in that respect, there's been a huge improvement. I mean, okay, I think back to my first games, my first first days on the uh, first Saturday, Sunday mornings, um, behind the bench coaching, you know, seven-year-old um, Chinese Chinese boys and girls. And I look to the right of me and I've got uh, the assistant coach and he's got a, in the middle of the game, he's got a cigarette burning down below the gate he's got his hand on the gate ready to let the kids out but i can see the smoke coming from his knuckles and i'm just shaking my head and i'm like "Ah, okay he's just the assistant coach but then i look to the left of me and i look at the owner of the company that brought me over here and he's also got smoke smoking knuckles and then like the first thing that happens you know like in between periods we call the kids over and i mean i'm fresh off the boat you know reverse and like uh I, I don't know any Mandarin, and and these guys are supposed to be helping me with the the intermission speech, and I mean you've got two or three kids that might be able to speak a little English, and where are they? They're out back in the out back in the Zamboni door, getting that that extra cigarette in. So, um, fortunately, I can say I, I've never seen any. I haven't seen people smoking on the the bench recently. Um, the more serious thing you commented on was you know kids getting a whack with a stick. I mean. Uh, that stuff still happens, fortunately, a lot less. And I think it's more in, in rural arenas around around uh, China, not so much in Beijing. I mean, last year, I remember seeing a, a really well-known team and the kid came off the ice. I mean, their their team's winning 10 nothing. This team's like a famous team for eight-year-olds. And, and the kid didn't do something. And I know this coach, and he drop-kicked the kid in the stomach, you know, right on on the on the holy shit on the bench so like it's it still pops up um it's it's still around i think uh i think it's 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 on the way out but it's still there and i think uh you know we need another generation of coaches to come through before it's completely cleaned john whose whose
2: job is it to to kind of police this sort of stuff you know like if something happens does it get reported? Is it the Chinese Ice Hockey Association? Is it, you know, is it just local police? Like, like, like who would be, who would be improving this or is it simply just down to coaches to, to hopefully learn and and mature and, and, and stamp it out themselves? I
3: mean, like, I I think it's a a system that has to police itself. Like the, okay. So Beijing is always the reference now because it's the epicenter of, of ice hockey. Um, the BHA is, is the, the, the developmental league here for, for, for minor hockey. They're trying, they're not doing a great job, but they're trying. Um, other coaches need to police that. I mean, you know, the guy I saw drop kicking that kid, I told him to come find me sometime and we, we can, we can talk about it. We can deal with it. You know what I mean? I think other coaches have to deal with that. If you're a foreign coach and you see it, you've got to do something, but uh, I, you know, there are only so many coaches, but what are there a lot of, there are a lot of parents and they see everything and everything is videotaped. And I mean, if you see any of that stuff, it it obviously can't be accepted. Um, but here's the problem. Here's, here's the, here's maybe the biggest problem is a lot of the parents see it and they let it go. They think it's okay or it's what's supposed to happen and it's, it just gets let go. So, uh, this this comes kind of full circle in, into like a bigger topic where more educating needs to be happening here in terms of the rules and the etiquette and just the overall attitude of the game. John, what what
2: age levels do you coach over here, and and how would you say those different age levels compare uh, with back home in North America?
3: When I was building the club, I coached everybody in anything. I mean, you know, if there was a mouse on the ice, I was I was teaching it. Um, as things, things uh, progressed over the years, I, I stuck to maybe the younger ages, but uh, the, the youngest kids here in China, they're as good as and sometimes a lot better than kids back home. Uh, the skill is here, no, no doubt. I mean, the, the parental commitment is here, that's for sure. Um, and, and the kids, they're unbelievable. They're really great. And, and you can there's proof because a lot of them transfer from here over to Toronto, and I, a lot of kids that I've coached have gone to Toronto, and they've they've done um, awesome, or or different parts of Canada, and uh, so the difference is the the developmental curve. Whereas kids in Canada are are peaking, you know, as they get older, they develop and they get better. Kids here are peaking at what ten, eleven, and then it's kind of like they start to trail off. And I mean, if there's any hope for them to to continue to develop and get better, they've got to go to. You know, North America or Europe or
1: I was at the uh, I was at the Winter Sports Expo in Beijing. How was that? Okay, that was, ama- it was amazing. It was amazing. It was like two or three hangars full of winter sports stuff. Yeah. And so I met I met this Austrian ice maker. Uh-huh. They they make these arenas all over China, and he was ta- he was just listing off all the different cities where arenas are being built. Yeah. Like what what's your experience with that? Like how how has that changed since you've been here in China? You yeah, mean? in China,
3: it's crazy. It's it's. Uh... Someone told me the other day that it's the fastest, statistically, it is the fastest developing ice hockey country in the world. I don't know about that with players. Uh, Maybe it is, but like for rinks popping up, everywhere you go, there's a 7-Eleven and an ice hockey rink. So, I mean, it is developing at a crazy rate. Um, I mean, that's what they're good at though, is infrastructure. You got to focus on the people inside the infrastructure and like, like, uh, Mark just asked, you know, about like, why are the kids dying off? Well, schooling is one thing. Uh, I mean, there are cultural differences. Um, and, and then ultimately there's no clear path. You know, once you get around, uh, I don't know, 12 years old, you're pretty much looking at retirement. <laughs> so, so you, you talked earlier about
2: some of these kids moving over to, to, um, you know, prep schools and so on in North America. I, do you think there's any hope within the next, you know, decade, decade and a half of of some of these Chinese-born kids going on to play in the NHL? I mean, so far we've had we've had you know one Chinese-born drafted, uh, Misha Song, Song Andong, who who has kind of dropped off the face of of the hockey world, although he's still around, but but he hasn't got anywhere close to playing for for the Islanders. Um, do you think that will ever change? Do you, do you think at least we're on the right trajectory?
3: I, I definitely think we're not on the right trajectory, um, but uh, there's a chance. I don't want to use the word hope, but there's a chance. Um, there are some really good kids that go over there. These kids are awesome. They're really amazing. Um, my fear is that like, you know, you have a lot of parents that want to take the kids over there. And if you want to go over for the whole cultural value, you, you, you value the the school system and the communities and things like that. And that on top of the ice hockey, I agree with you. But if you're going over there just because you want your kid in the NHL, then I think these parents are are crossing the line. Um, anyways, needless to say, there are some super kids and it's possible. It's really possible. But likely, I'd say very, very highly unlikely. And for it to happen, you know, all the kids have to go to they have to go to North America. They can't stay here.
1: So the Olympics are coming up, and China's in it, and they're in a group. And we've talked about this a lot on this program. Like we've talked about how they're in a group with Canada, with the USA and Germany, some of the best teams in the world. Yeah, yeah. If not the best, teams
3: even the Germany's good now. Like Germany's that, great. That whole group. That what a nightmare for every team. Yeah.
1: What What do you think? Do you think Do you think they should have been allowed to play in the Olympics?
3: Oh, it's such a difficult question. But I mean. If you look at what 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 are the Olympics about, like the best athletes in the world, well, if you judge it on that, no. I mean, what what's the team is mostly made of heritage players, anyways, right? And uh, what I, I I don't know I don't know the roster, but just I was checking something out before I, I left, and the 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 uh, the goalie is is my goalie coach from my my club, the guy who's there, and I mean, uh, he's a nice guy, but good luck, Sonny. Um. so I mean what what are they going to do it's going to be how do you spin it I mean if it's a success if they have one competitive game if they can do that then they've succeeded but they're not going to do that I mean again I said I'm a bit of a cynic so I hope I hope I'm proven wrong I hope there's a good game I hope they do well but I think they're going to get killed crushed annihilated destroyed I
2: mean I think everyone we've talked to kind of agrees. Uh, And it's, it's just a question of how big is the score going to be? And even with the heritage players, I mean, again, I think from what we can tell, and then they haven't released the roster right now, but from what we can tell, they are going to be evaluating in a couple of weeks, a couple of the KHL games that they play. And I think based on that, they'll figure out how many heritage people are going to be allowed to be on that roster versus how many like pure homegrown Chinese. And, You know, obviously there is a difference. Even but even the heritage players are still well below, you know, NHL All Star level, which is frankly what they're coming up against. So, the best of the best of what they're picking from is still going to be completely overmatched. So, so it it's a tricky
3: situation. (laughs) It's it's the All Stars of the All Stars, you know. I mean, and then you put them all together on one team. They're gonna they're gonna terrorize other All Star teams, let alone this this Chinese team. So uh, I, I'm hoping something goes well for them, but we all, you know, there's a consensus.
2: Now, how much, how, how close have you been to, to, to the women's side? I know you've sort of coached, and, and at the youth level as well, how much of it, you know, how many girls are playing versus the boys and how does that compare with, with, uh, with back home?
3: I mean, there's a really impressive group of, of young ladies uh, in Beijing, um, I mean, all over China that's there's an encouraging sign right there great question um i mean i think of what uh, julie a girl that i was coaching a lot before um before before i i left the, the last club um she's amazing better than most of the guys and her rate of improvement was great the only thing she lacked was 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 uh was confidence which is something expected of a of a you know preteen girl um Amongst other aggressive boys, uh, but that was the only thing. Skill-wise, physically, she was right there with them, and she's one of so many. There's a there's a BHA girls team, very good players. I we've played teams in the uh, throughout the years where, you know, you walk in there and you and and you you see a, a ponytail, and and all the boys are licking their chops, thinking, okay, this is going to be an easy one, and then you'll get the girl that goes out there and, and scores a hat trick, and and. <laughs> It's a good learning lesson for those young men. So John, John, just
2: on that note, um, you, you talked about, you know, you've been working with Chen Lu, and, and listeners overseas might not know exactly who she is, but she's an Olympic figure skater from China. Uh, and, and I believe has worked with some of the American figure skaters since, and and you talked about her mentality being kind of much more, um, you know, Westernized just, just share a little bit about what, what, why she's different, you know, special as, as a skater and, and, and now
3: a coach. Well, I mean, I've been telling her she needs to get in touch with Hollywood and get that movie made because her story is incredible and um, she went through a lot and she's seen the toughest aspects of the Chinese system and it is tough stuff, man. Like, it is tough stuff and uh, and then she had the, the luxury of going to, you know, she trained in Toronto, she was in New York, she lived in Arizona, California, I mean, you know, she had that luxury as well, and um, she she said she flourished in the 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 other on the other side, and um, she just thinks it's healthier for people, and and I, I that's you know we agree on that. It's pretty pretty easy math, I think. So the I her her strength is you know she's been successful and she's seen both sides, and she's also made it through the tough stuff. So she's uh, the right person to listen to.
2: Ten years from now. What would you like? Where would you like Chinese hockey to be?
3: I, I first I would start with the, the minor hockey. They've gotta they've gotta get that going. I, realistically, the league is eight to ten games every year for every team, whether you're the highest level or lowest level. That's what they're playing, which is which is it's nonsense. And okay, if you're new, if this if this is a new league, maybe you can understand that. But this has been like this since I've been here. And uh, nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed are the clubs realize are beginning to realize the importance of games. So the clubs do a great job of arranging uh, inner squad games when the league games aren't taking place. So good job to the clubs for that. Um, and then, other than the minor hockey, there needs to be a system where kids can keep going. You know what I mean? And and but again, you run into the homework roadblock. I mean the the what grade seven workload for a kid here for homework is like a a university student in Canada. So uh, that's something I, I really have no idea how, how that's going to be figured out. But um, hopefully they, they can just develop a, a clear path from, you know, age six to, to 15, 16. And then, I mean, again, at that point, you'll still probably have to transfer over somewhere into Europe, North America. But uh, if they can improve that in 10 years, I'll be surprised and very happy for them. I remember seeing seeing headlines about some of
2: these club tournaments that you mentioned, and the scorelines were just unbelievable. You know, 60-0 and, and, and things like that. And, and you know, presumably this is all the, all the biggest clubs poaching all the best players and, and, you know, wanting to win. And perhaps there were, there were also stories about, you know, monetary, uh, you know, rewards for, for the kids and and for, and for the teams and so on. But obviously when you have these completely one-sided games, at developmental levels it's not good for the winners it's certainly not good for the
3: losers is that something that happens a lot oh way too much it's terrible i mean the the coaches are they have contracts where i mean you win x amount of games you get a bonus right you win it. you win it. i mean these are kids these are coaches coaching eight-year-olds you you win a championship you get a bonus um and then you also have kids that get performance bonuses wow i mean at eight at I the age of eight a, Oh, hang on. Let, let me let me beat let me beat eight and go six, okay. I, I had our, our top uh, goalie um, poached from our club last year, and his parents came in talking about the incentives that he'd been offered at this other club that he went to. Um, one of the biggest clubs, now biggest clubs in Beijing, um, where incentives, performance bonuses, straight up for a six-year-old. Now the the kid doesn't know, but the parents obviously know. And, uh, I mean, what does that do to the sport? You know what I mean? Yeah. What does that do to, well, what does that do to the kid? What does that do to me? I'm sitting there pulling my hair out. Like what, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what is going on? Yeah.
2: I I mean, is that, is that situation improving? Like, like, you know, presumably the more it's
3: getting worse. Uh, Why? It's getting worse. I don't think it existed so much before, but there it's, it's so competitive. It's getting so competitive that these, these, uh, I mean, I think before they had free hockey for some kids, so scholarship type stuff. But recently is when I I've, I've really been hearing about the performance bonuses for six-year-old Ocean and uh, you know, seven-year-old Jerry and these guys. And um and it's performance bonuses for the for the coaches as well. What what kind of money? Like what kind of bonus? I don't know what a performance bonus would be for a coach, but they're they're decent. I mean, you can get maybe a full full uh full months uh pay for 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 uh maybe a, a championship i mean i've heard of, of coaches getting trips to thailand kids um a few extra lollipops I mean, <laughs> a few extra lollipops or maybe a, an austin martin i don't know uh, <laughs> tesla yeah, yeah the, the new tesla's hot now so yeah but just you know anything is anything is too much so I mean, gear. Put it this way: you, if you don't supply a goalie free gear in in Beijing, then uh, you you don't get the goalies. And I mean, if you're if you're if you're actually, you can't charge goalie because they're so rare. They're such a hot commodity. So you've got to you've got to pamper the goalies, and you've got They don't they don't pay money to play goalie. It's amazing. So so okay, I, I did that much, but then uh, but then there's. The other the other guys offering the the, the bonuses, and I'm like, my, that's when I just you know I, I throw in the towel. I, I wave the white flag and say, "All right, I'll uh, I'll try and find the the worst goalie that nobody's offering anything to. And I'll bring him in. We'll develop him." John, there is actually
2: there's there's another kind of group of people I want to ask you about, and and it's the parents because, you know, I I've oh, noticed it's my uh, favorite time. <laughs> I mean, I've noticed that's maybe cool. hockey parents are kind of a, a law unto themselves, but. You know, I've noticed that there has been, generally speaking, in China, you know, a positive trend towards parents who are trying to ease up on the, on the homework, and at least you know there's more kids playing sports. But um, and so that said, so presumably they're doing less, you know, math and 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 everything else. But mm-hmm. are the hockey parents just like still super competitive in the same way? You know, I've also heard that because of so many single children you talked about the little you know ceos and embras that they have parents mm-hmm. particularly like hockey because it kind of brings that toughness that they don't get at
3: home is that something that you that you've heard or seen i have specifically been told that reason before they like the the masculinity of hockey um i mean even even for for little girls i guess uh well, maybe i'll get in trouble for calling these traits masculine but Um, You know, being aggressive and and assertive and, uh, you know, learning to overcome perseverance or sort overcome adversity, um, work ethic, and being able to, you know, take a a yell from a coach or or things like that. These are things that Chinese parents have have definitely told me they really appreciate about the sport. Um, Now, at the same time, they are hyper competitive and, and too competitive, not to say that North American parents aren't. I mean, I, I have to admit, I haven't been back for a while, like coaching in the scene. So I don't know what it's like in the last, say, three, four years. I do talk to some coaches, but here I still think it's way too competitive. Um, and uh, y- you should compete. It's sports. We're out there to compete. It, that's, it's a sport. You're not out there to float, but there's got to be a line and there are no lines right now. I have to say my last word on the the, the hockey scene in Beijing in China, uh, it's, it's doing really well. It's, it's improved so much. So, you know, um, I don't know if I've leaned towards negative or positive here tonight, but I want to say that at the end of it all, it's improved so much. Coaching, uh, programs, and, and uh, kids, parents. And um, I mean, of course, with the development come, come new and unique problems, but uh, they're doing well. So I, I hope it keeps going in that direction. John, how can people find you? I mean, the bat signal doesn't work anymore. So, uh, I mean... You have to rebuild it somehow. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just around Beijing, Shanghai right uh, now. All right. Well, so, if,
1: you're, if you're walking around Beijing yeah. and you see John, say hi. Say hi yeah. or
3: punch me in the stomach. Whatever you need to do. <laughs> don't, don't punch me. Uh, whatever you in the thought
1: stomach. about the uh, interview, yeah. Let's leave it there. John House, thank you so much for coming by. really, really like talking to you.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Let's do it again sometime. Love to.
1: So that's our show for this week. Mark, where can people find you?
2: Uh, well, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Dryer China. So that's uh, D-R-E-Y-E-R China uh, or the website Chinasportsinsider.com. Um, those are probably the two best places. And you
1: can find me at Twitter.com slash We had some great feedback after last week's show. If you like the show, let the world know about it and let us know what you think about it too. Uh, Thanks again to John House and thank you for listening. We will be back next week.